You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, Buns, Buns. I want to give you something real, but I don't know where to start. Darling, let's make a deal. I want to give you my heart. I would trade anything for love. Hey, guys. Welcome to ISO The Buns Podcast. This is a special week, the return of Callie and I doing This Week in Buns. Have you guys been enjoying uh, our new hosts? We're kind of going to do a tag team back and forth sort of thing, um, but I think eventually I'm going to get them to take over because they're doing such a good job. Anyway, the interview this week is with a chef friend of mine by the name of Joe. I think you guys should check it out. We talk a lot about the business and what it takes to be a chef. But now, actually, you know what? I forgot to ask how your week's been going. Been doing a lot of good trades, question mark? Um, I need to get back into the trade game. It's been a while, but I don't have that much stuff to give away. Give away, to trade. Apologies. But uh, I'm sure I could drum some, some things up. I need to uh, meet some new buns and see what's going on with you guys. Anyway, time for this week in buns. Hey guys, welcome to this week in buns. Hi buns. The return of yeah, the return of Callie and myself to uh, this week in buns. I think that uh, we're gonna do a little bit of trading back and forward here until I can get my act together. But uh, it's good to be back. How you doing, Callie? It's been a while. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I've been busy, so I haven't had time to listen to the recent podcasts. Um, apologies in advance if anything that we talk about was mentioned on previous episodes. But if they were, that just means that they're awesome enough to be talked about twice. I hear um, you. Because I got I mean, some stuff that I don't want to skip over, even though it was not technically from this week. I haven't <laughs> really been listening to the episodes in full. Well, I, I've been listening to them because I kind of edited edit it and put them, it together. Yeah. But, like, it's literally with 30 seconds at a time. So it's hard to, like, keep anything straight. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. But let's, let's just get right into it. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but I thought it was hilarious. Someone wanted a blue T-shirt that says Cabana Pool Security versus Everybody. <laughs> uh, you know, in, like, the Toronto versus Everybody style. Yeah. Was there not, like, an incident? Yeah. So that's the idea. <laughs> I think it's kind of... Um, bringing light to the uh, incident with Cabana Pool Security where uh, a security guard kind of abused his power a little bit and uh, punched somebody in the face for throwing a drink at him. Oh, dang. I actually didn't. I just remember seeing posts about it um, from friends of mine in Toronto, but I didn't actually like read any news articles or anything. Oh, so there's a video. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, there's a video. It was uh, of intense. course there is. Our modern day of cell phones. There must yeah. be a video. Inescapable. Yeah, I, I just thought it was kind of uh, a funny Was someone ISO the shirt or did they physically make it and were trading it? No, they were ISO somebody to help make the shirt and oh, they cool. found somebody. Oh, well, so then it's in production. Yeah. Okay, well, this is related to that. Um, <clears throat> I, again, don't know if this was covered. Um, it's from July 22nd, but it was it's so great. And um, strangely enough, has to do with making a t-shirt that's custom made so perfect Ooh, segue. Tell me. um monica posted in the main zone 
Um, and this was an update to a post that I, I did not see the original post. Um, but I guess she originally was ISO somebody to, she actually posted um, a picture of her original post. So the original post was saying ISO someone to make Ford um, on a built Ford tough shirt, uh, say Gord. Um, because her father-in-law just came through an intensive open heart surgery and she wanted to make him a t-shirt because he's tough as nails. She was like, I no longer have photo editing software. If you do, can you make the F of Ford into a G? Is there a Ford font? Um, anyone who does this for me will get their choice of homemade goodies, a batch of organics, a g organic cinnamon ginger applesauce or a loaf of the best banana bread ever or a batch of roasted garlic and mushroom marinara. Um, and so she posted a picture of like, what she wanted the design to look like and buns came through the update post that i saw is a picture of gourd um with the shirt like held up to him and somebody did actually it says like built gourd tough and he's giving like two thumbs up so she was just like um she says he really loves his new shirt and he was really touched by it uh the buns who came through was named Lorelai and she just said thanks so much for photoshopping it for me and it was another amazing buns story so I just thought this was really cute yeah that is a good one uh well uh, you mentioned homemade goodies yeah and I got a couple posts I don't know if you saw them or not but uh Rebecca posted she basically has the cast of Harry Potter in cookie form what for tr <laughs> for trade amazing and, and they are phenomenal so if you ever wanted to eat harry's head Do. or eat a cookie of he who shall not be named um you can do that just contact rebecca seems like she does good work i'm gonna need to see these because <laughs> i missed that post and uh actually uh, very similarly somebody by the name of i can pull up the post quick enough somebody by the name of alicia uh made terrarium cookies and oh, essentially cool. they are they look like terrariums with like little plants cactuses. in them yeah cactuses and whatnot but they're cookies that's amazing i've seen those um not on buns but like on pinterest and instagram and stuff and they're adorable these harry potter cookies are impressive yeah like, these are very detailed. Sorry, guys, Koji just sent me the link because I hadn't seen them. And these are actually, like, super amazing. Like, somebody clearly... Um, you can buy, like, uh, edible, like, watercolor paints. Somebody clearly, like, used their, like, intense artistic skills to watercolor these faces and then also put icing on for hair and stuff. Mm -hmm. They're really cool. And this has a ton of comments. Um, so clearly they were... They've probably been eaten already. Yeah, pretty but well received. But I feel like more could be commissioned. Yeah, probably. You know? They're it's like a, fantastic. It's a, it's a skill as opposed to, a, a, you know, a finite resource. These would be so good for a Harry Potter party. Apparently, they were made for J.K. Rowling's birthday. So that's That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Yes Man? No. With I Jim Carrey? Um, Reese Darby throws a party and invites Jim Carrey. It's Harry Potter themed. Made me think of it. Anyway, if you haven't <laughs> seen that movie, you guys should check it the fuck out. All right, what do you got for us? Okay, I got some taxidermied kittens, <laughs> which is okay. like a new one, even for buns. So buns like often does have like people trading taxidermy or even people ISO someone to taxidermy animals for them and stuff. Um, yeah. But this is the first time I'd see this. So seen this. So somebody named Sarah 
was ISO a connection with dog and cat breeders? Um, so it says, I would like to purchase naturally deceased puppies and kittens for taxidermy purposes. Will trade taxidermy. And then they included a photo um, of a bunch of taxidermied kittens in like three there's a there's a really disgruntled one wearing a three-piece suit and then a bunch of lady ones wearing giant poofy dresses and like earrings and um necklaces and stuff behind them um and they're a adorable b creepy uh c super weird and everybody was just like oh in like in the comments like everyone like thought it was like really funny um, Jesus. but I mean, I think it's cool that they're like, you know, if the kitten didn't make it, they're not oh, they're like, Hey guys, creepy, please kill though. some cats and then trade me. You know, they just, they wanted specifically to be in contact with people who like, Oh, good Lord. Maybe accidentally have dead kittens. Anyway, <laughs> the, the eyes look so odd. Anyway, I know um, I have a taxidermy story for us as well. Ooh, go on. Sarah posts. Penelope the skunk is all finished up, but she needs a base for her pretty paws to stand on. ISO something to mount her on. Tray, cushion, plaque, let me know what you have. Could trade taxidermy lessons or small taxidermy piece. And this is a taxidermied skunk. Amazing. Yeah, it I mean, I don't I don't know why there's so much taxidermy on buns this week, but uh, good for you guys. <laughs> But there's a lot of taxidermy on buns this week for some reason. You know? Yeah, good for um, you. Okay, so I have one more that technically was before last week. It was only the 29th, though, so it's only like a day. Um, so I'm not sure if they covered it on the podcast. But <clears throat> um, this was also an update on a previous post. Um, so somebody posted that on July 11th, they were asking for trades for a special day for their son, Ethan. Um, and then this was the post being like the trade went through and today Ethan had breakfast with Toronto Batman followed by lunch at the park with 14 buns dressed as superheroes, um, and one minion (laughs) and apparently it like meant the world to this kid. And there's these photos of, um, all of these different buns dressed up as superheroes hanging out with this kid. And it like called, it really called to mind the, uh, you know, you remember the kid in San Francisco that was like Bat- Kid Batman and the whole city yeah. like got together and like, right. this was kind of like a mini Buns version of that. So I thought it was really cute. There's like a Captain America and a Thor and like a Deadpool. all of these. Yeah. And, and a giant minion. And it just made a lot. I think it like made a difference to this kid and it was really cute. He's like a tiny Captain America and it's adorable. <laughs> yeah. There's also a Winter Soldier there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh some sort of special spider-man that i can't really make out is that an uncle fester what is that I don't oh know. that's probably guy, darth vader maybe guy? the bald guy yeah well like know. it looks like he's in like a darth vader suit but doesn't have the helmet on or something maybe i can't tell but you know oh, wait he's holding a ray gun oh yeah is he it dr like, evil he looks like uncle fester i don't know if anybody knows who the bald guy is let us know yeah. there's a thor <laughs> A supergirl. It was cute. It's really oh, yeah. good. Everyone yeah. like in Bellwoods with their superhero outfits on. Yeah. Well, there's two Winter Soldiers. Wow. Anyway, that's awesome. Um, I don't really have a costume, but I do have an article of clothing. This <laughs> is 
uh, from Samantha. Unfortunately, it's been traded. Is it the Big Mac onesie? <laughs> it is the Big Mac onesie. It was so popular. I saw that too. Everyone freaked out. I didn't even know McDonald's was making clothes. Um, it was a like one day Uber Eats uh thing. Whoa. So yeah, I think you could like call, you could like order it on Uber Eats, and they would like drop it off for you. And it may have been free. Like I think it was just a promo thing. Yeah. And I think they went pretty fast, so people are trading them. <clears throat> Crazy. Crazy. I kind of want one. I mean, you and 127 other people that like liked this post. <laughs> There's yeah. like a lot of comments on this thing. It's in high demand. I have um, a Mountie onesie though. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, what else you got? All right. What else do I have? Oh, I have another food-related article of clothing, actually. All right. Go ahead. Adman. Uh, A-D-M-A-N. Adman. Is ISO one banana costume? It's an emergency. We'll need to pick it up tonight or tomorrow morning before 10 or 11 a.m. I live in Little Portugal, but I'm happy to slip on over to your place if it's more appealing to you. <laughs> Name your trade. And then he found it. He found the banana costume. Really? Yeah. But it was, an, it was a banana costume emergency. Why? I, I need to know the story. Why is it an emergency? Yeah, I should follow up. I should do an interview. Why did you need that costume? Um, okay, well, you know what? Those were all really fun posts. I think most of the other posts that I have are kind of more like housekeeping-y, like lost and found stuff. Um, yeah. 22 hours ago, somebody posted, does anyone know a Megan, um, spelled M-E-A-G-A-N, uh, Leanne Robbins. Uh, they found her purse in Bellwoods and cannot locate her on Facebook. It has like her social insurance card in there and apparently also cat food. Um, so if anyone knows a Megan Leanne Robbins, there is a post um, about her purse. Maybe put them in contact. This is on the main zone. Um, and someone, you could actually probably just search for the name, Megan Leon Robbins, and it would come up. Um, but yeah, if you know this person, let her know that her purse was found. Because, man, losing a purse sucks. And especially because it has her, like, social insurance card and stuff. Like, that stuff is such a pain in the butt to try to get, like, replaced. Yep. It's the worst. I hear you. <clears throat> um, somebody else had their backpack and bike stolen. Uh, last night, so this was posted eight hours ago, Cassandra says, a black backpack and bike were stolen last night by a drunk person, and I have leads that they may be sitting on in any random person's backyard anywhere from Coxwell, Cosburn area to O'Connor, St. Clair. The person was blackout drunk and doesn't remember where they left them. So I guess maybe they know the person who took their backpack and bike, but then the person doesn't remember where they left the stuff. Um, they say it's extremely important that they get them back as they have valuables and important ID uh, that would be in the backpack. Um, they would have been placed in someone's backyard between midnight and 4 a.m. <laughs> the person apparently also took a nap in the person's backyard and then like left all the stuff there. Uh, so people are currently bumping this post. Um, mm -hmm. But if you happen to live between Coxwell Cosburn and O'Connor St. Clair, maybe check your backyard and see if there's a bicycle and or a backpack with Cassandra's stuff in it. I just, that's such a weird story. 
Uh, yeah. But man, how cool would it be if we could find this? <laughs> find it, guys. I think the good thing is, like, the light at the end of the tunnel is it was stolen by someone who's not, like, trying to keep it. It's just lost now. So right. we might be able to find it. Come on. We're going to need you guys to, uh, to the Buns detectives to step up. Yeah. Um, do you have anything I do. you want to interject before I go on to a couple missing cat or missing and found cat, actually? Well, this isn't really missing, but have you ever felt like there was a part of your family history that may be missing? Yeah, actually. Be- because <laughs> Lynn is, uh, has portrayed four Ancestry.com DNA tests. What? I want one. Yeah. So, like, what a random thing to find on buns. How do you end up with four unopened Ancestry.com DNA tests? Yeah, good question, actually. But they're kind of expensive. Yeah. So and why don't you want them anymore? Hmm? Well, <laughs> if if they had four, maybe there was more than four to be had, and maybe th- they've already found out all they need to know about their family history. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, if it's of interest to you, check out Lynn's <laughs> post. Yeah, I've been wanting to do that. Um, my sister got hers done and was jokingly outraged um, at the amount of Neanderthal <laughs> that it said she was. That's hilarious. Uh, okay, so cats, 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 cats. We have a missing cat. Uh, this was posted five hours ago, so it's fresh. So I thought maybe we could actually help uh, bumping this post and hopefully finding this cat. Uh, it is posted by a Joanna, spelt J-O-H-A-N-N-A. Um, and it's the missing cat's name is Jack. It's the photo is a giant photo of her poster. Um, last seen Sunday, August 6th, near ni- uh, 295 Crawford Ave. Doesn't have a collar on and maybe skittish. Um, any information leading to finding the cat will be rewarded and also forever indebted. Uh, her post even just says, we'll trade anything, and then has a picture of the poster. Uh, so it has a phone number on the poster. If you have any information about the cat, call her. Uh, he looks really cute. Cat's missing. She's upset about it. So if you live in the Crawford area, <clears throat> the 295 Crawford area, and you see a cute little kind of looks tabby you can't see what color the cat is um in the photo because it's black and white but i feel like it's probably mostly gray tabby kind of color cat maybe we should ask her to post a picture of the cat's coloring but anyway keep an eye out for jack um on the other end of the lost and found cat spectrum Mm -hmm. somebody found a cat uh, last night and I already checked it's not the same cat they have different face markings so this cat has like a little white on its face that the other one doesn't have but Carolina found a cat on the street last night this was 21 hours ago this was posted <clears throat> and she said found a cat on the street my dog won't allow us to bring him in and he needs a place to stay for the night please help I will drive him to wherever you are in Toronto while we find his owner or a home he's friendly he had a collar with an old note attached asking whether he had an owner no phone number. Tried calling or taking him to a shelter with no lucks. Vets are closed for the day. Um, we found him in Etienne Brule Park, Toronto. He's in the garage for now. Uh, we fed him in improvised a kitty litter box. but And tomorrow I'll take him to a vet to scan him for a chip. But he needed somewhere to stay. So they posted this originally and um, somebody came forward. Um, so the update on this is that an awesome bun stepped in and is fostering this little fella. 
temporarily while they try to find it. Um, so people have been posting on this and kind of like trying to figure out whose cat it is. So if your cat is lost, this is like a cute sort of looking, it's like gray stripes and then it has white paws and like a little white, like upside down heart on its face and chest. So if your cat looks kind of like that, go take a look at this because your cat is now being fostered by a bun. Find, find that lost cat's owner, more detective work for, for you buns out there. I have an animal-related post, actually. Ooh, go um, on. Shayna posts, here she is, the animatronic chimp head of your dreams. <laughs> After what? a long run of terrifying my childhood friends, she must move on to a better home. She comes with a remote and also has motion sensors in her nostrils so you can terrify guests from afar with sudden <laughs> chimp movement. Uh, she's also great at modeling hats and jewelry. Uh, there's also a video with this, it's and like, it is it like one of those singing fish? It's horrifying. No, on the wall, but it's a chimp head. No, it, it just looks like a chimp head. That's uh, terrible. I don't. You know, um, you Koji just um, messaged me a link, and I don't want to click it. <laughs> it sounds terrifying. It just kind of looks like a Planet of the Apes or something. Yeah, Anyhow. which already creeps me out. Oh, yeah, I don't like this one bit. <laughs> not not watching that video. Has yeah. somebody claimed this already? I don't know. It just, like, screams in the video. It's like, what? Like, makes... I can't even do an impersonation, but it makes chimp noises. No, I don't like this at all. It's super creeps. Not into it. Not into it. What else you got for us? Um, I only have two more. Um, one that I just thought was kind of cool... Uh, these two buns, <clears throat> a Jonathan and an Alexander, have come together to offer their Apple tech services to the entire city, basically, because this says West and East End buns, which is basically everywhere. Um, so these guys do, there's a whole list on here of upgrades and fixes they've done in the past. But basically, if you have anything wrong with a MacBook Pro, um, or even iPhone fours and stuff, uh, get on these guys because they're here to help you. Um, there's literally like a giant list of everything they've done. They don't offer liquid damage cleaning, um, but they can replace affected parts or help recover data. If you need assistance using your Mac or cleaning up your files, networking in general, this is like pretty amazing, honestly. They're like, most repairs take one to two days. Their trade rates are consistent, so you'll get the same deal no matter where you are. Um, they are located, one is near Austington Station and the other is near Pape, so they're kind of like all over the city. And yeah, there's a bunch of comments on this already, but I think it's kind of cool. They're basically like a, a starting a... A little Apple, Buns business. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like a little Apple tech help Buns business. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. A, a Buns it. genius bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool little endeavor. Yeah, so I like if it. If you ever need help with anything like that, um, let Jonathan and Alexander know. I approve. Yeah, pretty cool. I approve. Well, the only other post that I have... Um, this is my last one is, uh, Vanessa posts, um, she's ISO an an August Metro pass. And in exchange, she wants to trade a 
16 by 20 plaqued art print of somebody in bondage. So, uh, I mean, I think we're dealing with a niche market here, but if you are <laughs> somebody who's into bondage prints and uh, has a Metro Pass that you don't need, this is the post that for you. That is a pretty niche trade, but I feel like there are a lot of a lot of buns who would be into that. Yeah, who knows? I feel like uh, you know, stranger trades have happened. So oh yeah, definitely. Vanessa, I hope you find your pass. Well, my last thing um, is a not buns to buns post. Uh, so somebody shared about a day ago. Um, a post by you obviously like she's not properly tagged because she's not um, in buns. She's from, I think, England, actually, um, in Devon. But um, so it was a post from this woman and it's a picture of her daughter uh, and her daughter's favorite stuffed animal that mm -hmm. is lost forever in Eaton's center in the mall. So... What the original post that was shared to Buns says is the little girl in this photo is heartbroken. During the last three hours of our visit to Toronto, she's lost her beloved toy shown in the photo in the Eaton Mall. Devastated is not even the word. Uh, such a long shot, but here begins the quest to bring him home. We're in a taxi heading to Pearson International. Please cast the net wide, lovely people. Uh, so this little girl has lost her stuffed animal. It is a pink and white dog. It's like the back and the ears of the dog are pink and then the nose and the arms and the tummy are white. So if you or anyone you know works in the Eaton Center and either found this dog toy or would like to go check the lost and found, uh, this little girl is devastated that her dog is lost. Um, mm. Like I said, they're from England, so they are not like a member of the Buns community, but a member of the Buns community posted it uh, to try to get it seen by more people. So it would be really nice if we could help. <laughs> I think this poor little girl is just like devastated that she lost her. I've done that like when I was a kid and it was like the, always the worst thing. Yeah. It seems like we got a lot of uh, detective work this week. Yeah. Go for it like and find all the lost stuff. Yeah, we need to. We honestly need to open that Buns Detective Agency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We pay in tall cans. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like uh, anyway. I was gonna. I was gonna make reference to a Netflix show that probably nobody watches called Dirk Gently, the Holistic Detective Agency. But uh, anyhow, I think that's been this week in Buns, guys. Um, yeah, so keep trading and give us some fodder for next week's show. Yeah, find some cats, find some cat owners. Find some dead find some cats? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, and until then... Keep on bunsing. Thanks, guys. Bye. Too much shit in your apartment? Get rid of it today on the Buns app. Available in the App Store, Google Play Store, or online at buns.com. Okay, well, that was fun. It's been a while since I got to do that. Anyway, like I said at the top of the show, uh, the interview this week is with a chef by the name of Joe. And we kind of go through his career and talk about how you get into being a chef and what it takes to be a chef and how it's a holy 
passionate-based business, passion-based business. You need to really love what you do in order to feel fulfilled doing it. So here's my interview with Joe. Hey guys, welcome to the Buns Podcast. So uh, I'm here. Actually, you know what? I'll let you introduce yourself because you can probably do a better job than I could. Uh, my name is Joe Castrino. So I've been a chef for about uh, 18 years, mostly in Toronto, a couple places in New York. And uh, that's basically it. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's let's kind of dive into that then. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Toronto? Toronto. Uh, born at uh, Western Hospital. Grew up on Markham Street and then spent... Uh, my teenage years in uh, Scarborough when it was uh, kind of a different place than it is now. Yeah. It was more like very uh, green and everything. And then I moved uh, downtown when I was 19, went out to University of Toronto. And then I basically continued living right in the heart of downtown till about, I guess, 94. I moved to the East End around Broadview and been there ever since. And at what point did you uh, start getting into cooking? Well, I was always into cooking professionally. I guess I started around fine dining around 36 when I was 36, which is pretty old, I guess, for someone to get into cooking. Yeah. Uh, I started catering films and then I just sort of walked into Splendido one day and uh, didn't didn't go to school and I was wearing a suit, so I looked a little I looked a little more uh, respectable than most. Hmm. most and then uh, they gave me a, they gave me a shot and uh, it really worked out well. So Okay, well, so let's talk about the, the the catering first. Then is that where you kind of sort of honed the craft a little bit? Because I imagine it's pretty difficult to to cook for a mass amount of people, like a crew for a film. It is, and it's a little bit of customer service too, because you're the front line. So a lot of special requests. Yeah, not as much. You know what? I would say back then. I guess this is around '94. Mm-hmm. A lot. I mean, there was a lot of interesting ingredients that I didn't know of that are very prevalent now yeah but weren't prevalent then but honestly compared to today's dining public far fewer special requests then on film sets believe it or not than there would be now at the restaurant really yeah so did you work on any interesting films uh, a few um anything you remember murder at 1600 with snipes oh yeah, yeah a van dan film which i forget what they called it. it used to be called the frenchman um don chettle he was just starting out Oh, yeah. He was doing a basketball movie, and uh, he'd actually have me drive him to the set in my catering van. Oh, really? he'd be, like, late. Yeah. A Timothy Hutton thing, Mr. and Mrs. Loving, which I really liked. He would always come late. Yeah, interesting character. Um, You know, it's... Honestly, they're a little more relaxed on set. I don't think they're... Huh. Most. I I guess, like, in my head, I just imagine that there's a a lot more demands coming from uh, actors and and movie types than there would be from the the local fare at a restaurant. But I guess I'm wrong. Well, who knows now, perhaps. But it was a long time. I mean, there was a lot of the brag um, tamari sauce. So there was, like, a soy sauce. It was, like, everybody wanted, like, the apple cider vinegar with the... But mostly, people just wanted to eat healthy. So, like, a lot of fish requests, a lot of... uh, green vegetables yeah you know um for example timothy hutton his he would always i would always bring something special for him we used to make this really spicy sausage penne and oh, he used to ask good. for it every day like every day he would eat and then he'd be like ah would you mind making it for me and i'd be like okay 
<laughs> and then and then after the film thing, you you walked into a restaurant looking for a job and and kind of got one. And is that where you really learned to? Uh... I did. I did. Um, when I went there, I mean, I was 36. So Splendido was one of the top restaurants in the city back then. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a chest freezer that was just for ice cream and the occasional shrimp. That was it. Nothing yeah. was frozen. Everything was fresh. Um, a hard thing to maintain nowadays because of labor and cost-wise. Right. Different time. Uh, I was lucky. I thought everybody was super serious when I was there. So I'm saying to myself, you know, like I'm in the big leagues now. Yeah. You know, and uh, take it seriously. So I read as much as I could. I mean, this is before the internet. Well, accessibility to the internet. Right, right. So if you had to look something up, you either had to go to, a, you know, before you went to work, you had to rush into a bookstore or see what old magazines you had. I used to collect a lot of gourmet magazines. And, right. And uh, yeah, it was pretty serious stuff. But I mean, I was determined. So I sort of attacked it like I would if I were a student. Right, right. So prepare the night before have five or six variations of a dish you're supposed to make and they were they were very they gave me a lot of freedom so um they started me as a salad person garmanger but they immediately moved me to the wood oven which was by far the best thing ever every day i'd come in i'd chop wood yeah, I'd store yeah. it with an axe get the fire roaring to a thousand degrees um on a saturday night and everything in it of course tasted amazing right right, right wood yeah. fire a lot yeah. of burns. Sounds good. Oh, well, I imagine there's a lot of that in the kitchen in general. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something you get used to. In fact, I've always wondered because when I burn my hands now, it takes a pretty serious burn for me to even notice it more than, let's say, 30 seconds. Right. But occasionally, I'll be at home and I'll be a slob and I'll be wearing a t-shirt that, that doesn't quite cover my belly. And I've burnt my belly before and it's the most painful thing you can imagine because it's not used to burns, right? Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I, I imagine that, um, you know, based on what you said before, that 36 is not, uh, most people get into it before that? Oh, yeah. It's, well, it's a young person's game. That's what they say. So I, were you working with a bunch of young people? I was. You? I was. Okay. I mean, the working chef there was 29. Oh, wow. Okay. So when I showed up, they were all like, what's this old guy doing here? Yeah. But Seriously. they decided to give you a chance, though. Yeah. Um, what do you think it was? I think it was them? just my, um, I think I was pretty straight up with them. I told yeah. them that I could cook some things. I mean, I thought I was a lot better than I was. Yeah, yeah. I went in there and I just literally got my ass handed to me, which is good because you can either crumble or, you know, go home, get a little bit uh, racked up and then just think, hey, I got to do better. So what did I do wrong? Let's let's have a look at this, you know, right. which is a great way to... Um, you know, react to life in general. I mean, learning skills, seriously. And by being um, a chef, I think it really helped me get organized. So along those lines, you know, yeah. attack a problem with a certain, I mean, not always successfully, mind you, but it was better than just, uh, it gave it gave you a purpose, a sense of how to attack things, you know? Right. And was that kitchen, so I had I had um, Chef Craig from Patois yeah. on a little while ago, and he was telling me that he worked in some places that it was essentially run like the military. Uh, was this one? Was your first experience kind of like that, like really tough? And no, I was really lucky. Yeah, I mean the chef was very demanding, so I was very lucky. I've worked for very few people where it was like that. So my management style is not quite as people would imagine it to be. Right, it's a pretty stressful environment. Most people need to be told what to do. Yeah, I have a different approach. I mean, everyone's different, but no, it wasn't. Everyone it was it was pretty relaxed in the sense of as long as you got the quality of the food down yeah. right. 
was pretty chill. Yeah. And it was a great place to work. Um, you know, it really was one of the golden years. You just don't really appreciate at the time yeah, how yeah. lucky you were, right? So where did you go after that? Um, after that, I... Um, Splendido was closing. He was selling it. Yeah. So because I worked at Splendido, and only because I had, I only had eight months experience, I was promoted really quickly yeah. to a place called the Turno, which is like the swing cook, the guy who covers all the stations. Mm -hmm. So somebody told me they needed someone at the Art Gallery of Ontario. It really was paying well, considering it was uh, Splendido was paying as well as they could, but not really a survivable wage. I was lucky. My mother was not feeling that well. She was old my parents were a lot older mm -hmm. my father had died a few years earlier so i moved in with her so that's the only reason i was able to be a chef there's no way i was going to be a chef on the wage that not in toronto and never mind now i mean that's another that's another point in time but what was the question so, oh art so, gallery of ontario yeah before you get there though uh, i mean that's kind of interesting so being a chef doesn't really pay all that well no i've made better well, money than most yeah uh no i mean imagine if you're a kid straight out of culinary school now yeah let's say you don't even have debt and somehow your parents paid for it sure you're lucky to start at 13 to 15 dollars an hour Ooh, okay. that's if you're lucky yeah yeah but i'm just saying if you're lucky you make i mean there's there's a there's a shortage of cooks because of this yeah worldwide especially north america especially um and no one's willing to put in the time. Everyone wants quick results. I don't blame them. You're making, like I said, $15 an hour. You work 40 hours a week, let's say, approximately. You make 600. Right. Work another 10, maybe. You know what I mean? So you make, how do you, what do you take home? 500 if you're lucky. So that's, you know, yeah. that's $1,000 every two weeks, 2000 a month. Most rents are what? Even if you're sharing a place, you're looking at 1000 if you're lucky. Right, right, right. Yeah, especially in Toronto. It, uh, who knows? And you're young, you want to go out, you want to drink. I mean, it's a stressful job. People go out afterwards, blow some steam. Sure. Um, it's just not happening. And it's very hard to be at the top. I mean, it's very hard to be a chef, to be a good chef, a successful chef. Right. To move through the ranks. I mean, everybody wanted the younger people because they were cheaper, but then they realized they really can't, um, you know, react to certain situations. They don't have the training to something goes wrong and to handle it. Yeah. Experience is huge. So, you know, it's a tough call. The question I guess you were t talking about initially was being really a military sort of like a hardcore organizations. Yeah. Most really good kitchens yeah. are like that. Mm -hmm. I hate to admit it, but it's necessary. I mean, I really excelled because, you know, I was a chef within three years of becoming a cook. Right. So I kind of rushed a little bit. It was a good opportunity. I worked at a little cafe part time. Yeah. So I had to teach myself a lot of stuff. There were a lot of holes in my... So... um I did that for a while and then a few years in, let's say about seven years ago, I was rusty. Yeah. I'd gotten sloppy, not in that my techniques. So I became a cook again for a new restaurant that was opening up, Aria. Um, and uh, I just had to relearn my basic skills, my butchery, refine them, be a little less sloppy. You know right. what I mean? Make it look like a ballet when you're in the kitchen. So, um, and then after that, I worked for basically a tyrant, like yeah. an absolute tyrant where Sunday came along, let's say you're out, Monday had to come in, you were getting the anxiety to go into work. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would haunt you. Right, yeah, I know I know that feeling. I mean, not, a, not in the kitchen, obviously, but I know that feeling exactly. I've been at a couple of jobs where, uh, you know, even Saturday night, I'm like, oh my God, it's almost Sunday, which means it's almost Monday. Really, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But my point about that is, 
it really made me far better than I could have been without a tyrant. I hate to say it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not justifying it. Sure. But And I've had two tyrants like that. And yeah. both tyrants have made me excel. So I spent a year with one and three years with another. Mm-hmm. And out of those four years, I literally became, what, four, five times more skilled than I was before. Sure. Could face anything. Yeah. Tackle anything. Knew how to, you know, big difference. But is it the way? I don't know. I guess, I mean, from what I understand, now, mind you, again, I haven't talked to very many chefs, so my experience is pretty limited, but it sounds like um, both both you and, and Chef Craig um, had, had gone through this, you know, a, sort of a tyran- uh, tyrannical part of their cooking career, and it, and it really helped, helped shape you, and I think that, that maybe that part is important. Now, whether or not you need to run your kitchen that way, I don't, I don't know if that, that's really the, the lesson to be learned, but I think that anyone who wants to be a chef needs to go through that process at some point. Yes, you know? well, absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, if you can take the easy way out, most of us will, no matter how dedicated we are. Right. I mean, why not? I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. it's a natural tendency, right? It's of the way course. of the universe. Um, so do I run my kitchens like that? I have, mm-hmm. I hate to say it, I have. Um, when I've gone easy on people, because they've been friends, they haven't been as good as they could have been. And in fact, I kind of feel that I kind of let them down on that, to right. be honest with you, when I look back. Yeah. And the opportunity they could have had. So, um, and I still am tyrannical when it comes to the quality of food. If I'm going to get upset about anything, I'm mm-hmm. going to get upset about someone make, doing something half-ass. Right, right. Right? And so it's, it's a stressful situation. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I imagine it, it is a stressful situation when there's a rush coming and, you know, everyone wants everyone wants to eat their food in a, in a timely manner and it, you want to make sure that it, it represents you because at the end of the day, like, you know, your kind of name's on there a bit. So I understand that uh, wanting things to be, to be right. So how do you, um, I mean, what's the best way to impose those lessons on the people that, that work for you? How do you kind of... Um, just like an old cliche, I guess, an old bromide, you have to lead by example. So I've had sous chefs who have failed to garner the respect of their peers. I mean, the, the, the kids might like them as a person. They might love them. Right. But as a chef, they don't really respect them as much because mm-hmm. they may not be in the kitchen as often. They may not be working as hard. People yeah. who are already bitter at their work might resent them and say, you know, what are you doing? Well, you know, the chef's working really hard. You're, you know, doing whatever it is you're doing. I've had a couple of those. Yeah. And so you have to lead by example. You don't ever take shortcuts unless absolutely necessary. You stress the fact you don't take shortcuts. So they see you doing everything properly, whether it be how cleanly, how organized you are, how dedicated you are, you know, picking up a broom, sweeping up after yourself. Right. Um, you know, um, there are also, so, you know, people don't, it's tough. I mean, it depends on, I think it depends on your culture. I worked with a Korean guy recently. Yeah. One of the best cooks I've ever come across. Just stellar. Yeah, yeah. But came from a military background. He was telling me basically that when he was learning to be a chef, he just followed the head chef around. The chef would drip something on the counter. Right away, he would just wipe it and just stand there, like like a valet, basically. Right. right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know. Hey. Yeah. And, uh, and he's military in his way. He 
governs the kitchen. He was my chef de cuisine for a very short time. Um, but he was kind and he was gentle. Yeah. And he was very direct with people. And he wanted to stre- he wanted to spread the knowledge. So whereas me sometimes I tend to keep things to myself, not purposefully because we're busy. I might not show yeah. someone to do something as You're thoroughly. Not about it. it takes a long time. I do yeah. sort of like old school apprenticing where it takes years to master it. Whereas in this day and age, we don't really have that luxury anymore. Right, we learn right. quickly. Well, let me ask you a silly question because, um, well, I don't know. Maybe it's not that silly, but other than producing a good meal, what makes a good chef? Okay, we're going to get a little bit into the maybe uh, metaphysical plane a little bit, I think. Sure. I think really what makes a great chef is, it's a tough thing. Uh, I've been fairly successful. Uh, I've had a few, you know, popularity. I sort of avoided the spotlight a little bit, to be honest with you, because I didn't really think I deserved it. I was Mm. really hard on myself. Sure. But you can cook for the masses. Yeah. And that's what most people want which is hard for me to do yeah i should be cooking for the mass a successful business but i like to cook things not really for myself a chef should be cooking his menu should be a reflection of his clientele somewhat okay it should be a reflection of the owner mm-hmm. and a reflection of himself so there has to be some sort of theater okay there has to be theater so things have to be presented interestingly yeah uh i'm not one for complicated presentations but it has to look beautiful on the plate, properly cooked, but also kitschy things. So you have to take your diner from what they're comfortable with to something they're un- they haven't tried before, but you have to bridge it with like sort of like a halfway ingredient. They're like, I always wanted to try that, which will take you into the other realm, things you've never tried. Sure. Something as simple as, let's say, if you've always eaten well-done steak. Yeah. Very common. And then you just convince your patron to have it medium. And if he doesn't like it, to send it back. And he's very surprised. First of all, he's proud because everybody doesn't want to eat their their steak well done. They're kind of embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. they order medium well, thinking, hey, I'm not really well done, but it's really well done. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so you push them to eat it medium. They feel very happy. They feel they've achieved something. And then, you know, they're happy that, that you, you've, you've helped them educate them. When I was on film sets, when I finally left the business, people came up to me and said, I eat fish because of you. You know, you really pushed me in a polite way to try this. You know, you I trusted you. So, and even the times where I didn't like it, I still appreciated it. So yeah, yeah. back to the original question, I think a chef's meal, if you've had a great experience, it should really be a journey. I liken it almost to like a DJ. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be taking on a journey. So there's a little bit of start. I think it should evoke, if you're lucky enough, it'll evoke childhood memories. Yeah. A nurturing, you know, comfort mm-hmm. food, I guess. Why is it called comfort food, obviously, right? Sure. Uh, but, and in the end, I think you should be somewhat happy with it. But I'm from the school of where you're pretty happy. This was really good. Yeah. You go home. Two days later, you wake up and you say to yourself, oh, my God, that was a great meal. Yeah, it's like yeah. some movies, you know? Sure. Underappreciated until a couple of days later. And yeah. then there has to be an addictive quality to it. So you have to crave it. Right, 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 yeah. So that's what it is to me. So, for example, if you're eating a soup, if it's really well spiced right from the beginning, by the time you get halfway through, your taste buds are going to be saturated with the salt. So you won't have it. You should be getting about halfway through your soup till you say to yourself, hey, this soup's really good. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it is part of a journey. So, I mean, if you can invoke that, it is now people want to be 
they want to have a journey but what's happening i don't know i mean i think the restaurant is not really a reflection of that is it it's about quick apparent um seemingly cheap food which doesn't it really adds up to the same in the end it just you know, order so many plates yeah relaxed people don't want to feel sort of like too formal right yeah excuse me so grab and go is big yeah it's i mean things, bigger things have definitely changed in you know a while for sure so oh you're making me hungry actually <laughs> I, I i made the mistake of interviewing both the chefs that i've had on the show right around dinner time and i think it <laughs> uh it's terrible but let's let's uh, put me through a bit more torture and let's talk about the the food what are some of the your favorite dishes to make um i love well, let me put it this way. If if someone was coming over to your house or somewhere and you really wanted to impress them, what, what would it be that you would make? Huh. You know, what's the dish? Good one. Well, I mean, I love cooking seafood. Mm-hmm. Okay. So seafood in any form to me. I mean, it's a tough question. Um, I have an old recipe I did ooh, 30 years ago. It was a stuffed leg of lamb and it's so cliche yeah and so kitschy because it has sun-dried tomatoes in it when's the last time anyone had sun-dried tomatoes and a really strong provolone cheese from italy oh that sounds good right and then all this puree of scallions and mustard yeah and then you just slowly roast it on the barbecue to medium rare great dish um but really what i like to do and there's a subtlety in it so my i like to make my food subtle it's been called subtle before which I really appreciate. I think it's one of the greatest compliments you can pay me. Mm-hmm. I believe in really simple, but it has to be a master technique. So, for example, properly made sushi. Yeah, it really is a master takes to do it. I mean, we there's so much sushi, and I don't want to shit on the sushi industry, but so much bad sushi. When sure. you've had exceptional sushi, yeah, yeah. But most of us don't even taste our food we eat so quickly anyway, so it makes no difference. Yeah, let's be honest and. You know, um, I used to like bad sushi until I had really good sushi. Uh, I was able to learn from an old Japanese woman, of all things. Met her at a fish store on the Danforth years ago in 99. Mm-hmm. And she taught me a lot about Japanese cooking before it was so popular here in North America. So the simple act of cooking sushi, vinegared rice. Imagine, one, you spend one, two years making vinegared rice. I don't know if I'm really... I mean, nobody really wants to spend that much time learning, but really it is about learning it nice and slow and doing it properly. Absolutely. So that's gone. I mean, really, that's gone. They're telling me that when a master sushi makes, she was telling me when they make nigiri sushi, you know, the one in your hand. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That if he's really good, most of the grains will be facing the same way. (laughs) I don't know if it's a tall tale or not, but that's the kind of stuff I want to think. So really simple. I mean, I'm Greek in in, in origin. So, and I come from a place in Greece. I mean, I was born here, but... My mother was an exceptional cook. Everybody says that, but truly exceptional, cut above. Yeah. According to everybody. She used to give cooking lessons in the house wow, to, the, okay. to the local ladies because they'd be like, how do you make these things? So did that did that kind of help you get a leg up in the beginning then? Did you did you get lessons from your mom? I did, but she taught she gave me my palate, which was far more important. Yeah. Balanced okay. food. Yeah, yeah. And subtle food. So like I said, not everybody wants a subtle food, but like so simple techniques, like when I was at with RP Maggiar at Splendido was to me who trained some of the best chefs back in the day i would make a dish and he would tell me he would tell me to uh take one element away after you did so you're like take an element away it's not gonna happen and he'd be like take an element away you know so now i think we're moving towards a style of cooking so i've always had a hard time 
meshing with what was current because my food has been very simple maybe right. too simple for a chef maybe it's possible but that's know. what i'm going with right yeah a fish doesn't need very much sure yeah yeah soy or a little olive oil or a little citrus that's basically it shouldn't hide behind anything you'd be so fresh you know um but I, I imagine then if that's your style half uh well maybe not half but a lot of, of what goes into it is picking the right ingredients yes right? because otherwise you know if it's going to be simple it has to be the best the best has to go into it right i mean i'm I'm, I don't know if I remember the exact quote, but it's come basically because one of my favorite quotes from Robuchon is, uh, great food needs great food ingredients. Yeah. Uh, simple, simple cuisine is far more complicated than any complicated cuisine or something about that. But basically, that's what he's saying. I mean, it's yeah. from the French, so the translation is not the best for me. But um, So where do you get true. your ingredients then? Well, that's a tough one. Um, for example, right now, I'm working on, somebody asked me to do a Greek menu uh, for a little private dinner and I, I'm not I'm a fan of Greek food but again it might be too simple for something so I wanted to sex it up a little bit make it a little more funky a little crazy mm -hmm. so um, I needed to get um, fresh squid let's say from which is usually caught off Boston so I just called one of my fish suppliers most of the suppliers I've known for 20 years and they'll go out of their way because I've always been honest with them I've always made sure they've been paid and sure. I've always haven't behaved like a tyrant so I speak to them like a human being yeah yeah which yeah. a lot you know you'd be surprised it's a stressful time most chefs aren't polite yeah. I hate to say it I don't blame them I've been in a similar situation so uh, olive oil for example I know some olive oil producers in Greece so I'll get that stuff um, I know someone who came back from Greece bought me snuck in a special cheese that's made in the goat stomach for example goat skin rather yeah yeah so stuff like that, um, produce, okay. they'll get me special produce. Um, but there's not a, just along those lines, everybody claims their ingredients are certain things. I hate to say it. I hate to be a negative person, but usually they're not. Mm -hmm. And we're not informed as a public. We think we are, but we're not. Yeah. But I imagine that's part of, of the dressing it up that you kind of spoke to earlier. You want to take them on a journey. Maybe they're embellishing their claims on their ingredients a little bit, but like... It makes it sound that much. Sure, it's theater. I mean, in the yeah. end, it's theater. It's a thin line. I'm not going to be that, you know, stringent about it. Yeah. I agree. So, I mean, um, if I can, like, for example, uh, I used to grow pumpkin, pumpkins just for the blossoms. Like, you know, you've heard of zucchini blossoms, same yeah. family, but the pumpkin blossoms are bigger and tastier. So I used to grow them in my backyard. I'd collect 50 a day, really? take them to the restaurant and do whatever I wanted them as opposed to paying a dollar a piece for them. So it was organic. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was from a thing. So uh, vine leaves, for example, I have wild vines growing in my backyard. I would collect them, blanch them far better than a bottled item. Um, so what do, you, what do you make for yourself? Because it sounds like you grow a lot of food. But I also know that most chefs don't really dress it up when they're cooking for themselves at home. So what do you eat when you're not? We do. I don't want to don't. I mean, I, for the first time in a long time, I have a roommate. A friend of mine had broken up with his girlfriend, wanted to move in. And he's an actor. Yeah, he's probably the best fat actor out there. Yeah. <laughs> very, very health conscious. I mean, but at the same time, so, and it's helped me get healthier. Yeah. Um, healthiest I've been in years. I mean, I haven't been a healthy person, but, you know, you get older, your cholesterol, sugar, blah, blah, blah. So, sure. so for example, for lunch today, we made something we had, he had brought home some ribeyes. Uh, I marinated them. Usually I'll marinate them in some sort of like dried porcinis, but who's going to take the time to make a rub? So, I basically had some really good soy sauce and sesame oil. Mm -hmm. I marinated that for like for the umami flavor for maybe four minutes. 
rubbed them with coarse salt and coarse pepper, did them on the barbecue. Yeah. And f we had with that some cauliflower roasted at 550 in the oven with some chili, salt, pepper, olive oil. Stellar. Really bringing out the flavors, doing very little to everything. Yeah. You know, letting it rest. Very simple. So we do a lot of ceviche. So I oh, love yeah. mezcal. Yeah, I yeah. love mezcal margaritas. No sugar. Can't have the sugar. Not good for me. So we eat a lot of ceviche at home. It just sits in the fridge. Really good ceviche, like striped bass, like quality fish. Oh, that sounds good. Heavy on the chilies. And I like, honestly, if I'm off, when I was in Mexico, my breakfast was mezcal margaritas and ceviche. It really is a <laughs> breakfast. You know, I've said it before. really is a breakfast of champions. It true. I lost weight when I was in Mexico because I was eating like that. Nice. So, you know. I think um, I need to go to Mexico and eat like that. So, okay, one last question about food, I think, is uh, when you go out, what are some of the hidden spots that you like to eat at in, around the city? Because you've been, you've been in Toronto for a while, so you probably know a place or two that, that we might not know about. Uh, it's a tough one. Everyone asks me that. I don't usually get to go out. I mean, I really like the new place that was across from uh, Splendido. I, I found that interesting. Um, you know, like for example, uh, I don't remember the name, of course. Why would I? That's terrible. But honestly, I try to look for little places, little ethnic places, hole yeah. in the wall. Somebody says, hey, best Indian food. Uh, there's a little guy doing Japanese sushi, you yeah. know, sort, sort of place. So really, I don't really have an answer for you. How's that? But um, I got a recommendation for you then, you actually. Do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you heard of a place called Tonino? No. So it's, um, if you're going along the Danforth, when it splits and becomes Bloor and Parliament. Yes. If you take Parliament and make the first right, I can't remember what the name of the street is, and you go down, on the, on the left-hand side, there's a restaurant called Tonino. It's a, it's a Filipino restaurant. Oh, amazing. Uh, seafood. Right. And it's $15 a person. You just sit down with however many people you have, and they just bring a pile of seafood, rice, and vegetables, and you just eat with your hands. Amazing. See, this is what I'm talking about, stuff like that. I probably wouldn't even remember the name. Though. I'd have to describe it exactly where it is. So names, I mean, I'm bad. Yeah. I mean, I've eaten in all the places that open up. I mean, you know, there's still the classics. I mean, I, I've enjoyed Dandelion and all that, but, like, there's a lot of hype, too. Yeah, right, right, of course. You know, so it, just in closing, it reminds me of, they did a, there was a, about five ten years ago scientists put a really bad not a bad but a cheaper wine in an expensive bottle right and then they measured people's pleasure centers yeah and the people when they thought it was a really good wine their brain actually was telling them it was really good wine it really tasted good wine even though it was an average wine yeah, yeah. so i think a lot of that happens with the restaurant industry too sure i mean it people come with high expectations or somebody's disappointed but usually they feel that perhaps if they didn't like it, it was them and not the restaurant. Right, like they didn't get it or something. Right. Yeah. So, and then just, and all the thing, the other thing, just, just to be quick about this, if your food is really good, but if it's too clever, yeah, I think people get upset. I feel they feel like you're sort of taking a piss. Right, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but this is how I feel. So, I mean, the honest food, someone actually making really good food, putting their heart in it. Yeah. Not concerned about the bells and whistles, like you're saying, your Filipino place. Tonino, you said it's called? Yeah, Tonino. And really just making it amazing tasting. Yeah. That's to me what it's about. Because I'd rather, if I'm going to go for an experience, I mean, I'll ask. I mean, I have a lot of chef friends, so I will go see them. Mm -hmm. But, 
I've yeah. never been one for like keeping up with the restaurant scene. I hate to say it. No, I think it's I think it's probably for the best because I imagine that when there's a lot of like, you know, uh, dressing it up or bells and whistles, it's probably good for the first couple times, and then it becomes like you you get the gimmick, and then you're like, okay, well I understand now. But if you if you do something really simple, really well, there's no gimmick, so you go every time, and you're like, this is just good food. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Just- well. You've made me sufficiently hungry, but okay, uh, let me uh, let me just ask you a couple more questions. If there's uh, any advice to to you can impart to somebody who's maybe potentially wanting to become a chef or you know currently running through that process, what would it be? Uh, first of all, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but it's like being an actor. Uh, I mean. It's not like being an actor, but there are very many similarities. Um, very few are going to be very successful at it. Right. But if they really do have a love for it, mm-hmm. everybody in the industry uses the word passion. Passion fades, even if it's for the most beautiful woman or man in the world. Yeah. It fades. And what remains is dedication. So if you want to become dedicated, so you have to, when you're younger, I mean, there is a quality of life. Like you miss out on a lot of stuff. But if you're really into it. Yeah. So what I would say is this. Take the shit from the chef for the first three months. Listen to everything he says. Question it in your mind, but do not fight it. Right. Ask questions after. Do not give explanations. If you fuck up, even if it's not your fault, yeah. just take it. Always own up to your mistakes. No, that's the biggest thing chefs hate is trying to find out who did wrong and people just denying it because it just makes us angrier. Own up to it. Very forgiving. Yeah. Um. When you're gonna go in the next day, plan what you're gonna do, see it out, so it'll make your life faster. Sure. Like I said, listen for the first three months, try to learn as much as you can, stay in for extra work. Uh, You're young, you don't need that much sleep. (laughs) Honestly, try not to party too much. I imagine there's a lot of that going on. A lot of it. Uh, I mean, I was young, living the life. I mean, I got caught up in it too. I think I would have been far further along in my career Oh, well, not maybe now, but back in the day, I think it would have progressed. I mean, I was lucky I progressed real quickly because I was older uh, and you had to handle it. So basically, that would be it. Um, read as much as you can. Um, humility is important, but you also have to be confident in what you're doing. Um, I'm sure. And then, like Escoffier said, the last thing, piece of advice would be, you need to do something about a thousand times before you realize what you're doing wrong. Right. And that's basically it. But as long as you're dedicated, as long as you listen to what you're doing, and as long as you just do what you're told, Mm -hmm. you will be light years ahead of most people. Right, right. Practice, practice, practice. That's it. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's some pretty good advice. And I think that, you know, it probably is a pretty difficult road to go down. But if you... If it's something you love doing, it's like any other art, really. If it's something you love doing, you just got to do it. So, uh, yeah, follow follow that advice. Anyone out there listening who wants to become a chef? My last question for you: What's for dinner tonight? <laughs> well, the truth is, I have this really, really big porgy. Porgy is a fish from uh, Boston. It's a uh, kaltzipura in Greek. To me, it's one of the best fish, better than the Brancinos because it's wild, better than the sea breams. It's a sweet fish. It's got a really fatty belly, so it melts when you grill it on okay. the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'm going to do that. I've got some wild, uh, well, not wild, dandelion greens, uh, which I usually can find wild, which are bitter. And we're just going to do that with a little bit of shaved garlic, olive oil, oregano. That's basically it. You know what I mean? No bread, nothing. Uh, for dessert, I don't know, probably an apple. <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. Sounds pretty good to me. Ooh, okay, well, I'm I'm sufficiently hungry enough to go make my own dinner. So I just want to say thank you for sitting down and chatting with me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. from Alyssa Marie. My Luna is the name of the project, and the song is called Best Friends. Check out the show notes for the links and more information. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.